0: Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Jeeper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. JEPR is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015, to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about cheaper and subscribe to the eczema breakthrough podcast at parents for research.org.
1: So welcome everybody to this edition of the eczema breakthroughs podcast. We're going to be talking today about bathing and bathing frequency for children with eczema. And our guest is Dr. Tom Mars, who is a consultant in pediatric allergy, working in the Children's Allergies Department at St. Thomas Hospital in the United Kingdom. His research explores how the microbiome influences the development of allergic diseases. Dr. Mars, welcome to the podcast.
2: It's an absolute pleasure to be with you.
1: Awesome. I think first we wanted to just ask, what got you interested in this area or this topic?
2: So thank you. And I suppose the most important part is that there's been a huge rise in allergies and in eczema across many parts of the world. And Because it can't all be genetic. We haven't all had the mutation at the same time. There are lots of lifestyle factors that we're doing that we might not know about that do influence the raise of this group of disorders, which then on a positive slant, means that there must be quite a lot we can do to then downplay these risks if we only know about them. So I think there's lots of opportunities for thinking how we could best engineer the future so that less children have such a challenging time when they're growing up.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a preoccupation of parents to understand the why of eczema. Because unless it appears right from the get go at birth, we're wondering why it develops and what prompted it. What was the trigger? And so, this type of research that's starting to get at that is, I think, really high priority for people and a really high interest. So, we're excited to have you today. You make yourself crazy as a parent trying to figure that out. And because so many things can influence. The appearance of eczema when a child is out in the world interacting with things it's just so hard to to make those connections and to really understand. And a lot of the
2: connections are unseen, aren't they? Because a lot of it is around the the start of an emergence of an infection or even a throat infection and being generally under the weather can have a disastrous impact. And then if you add in the itch scratch cycle, whereby little ones are tired, they're frustrated, or they've they've got some material that's irritated them that's driven it much worse. And suddenly things have seemingly blown out of all proportion and, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. So I, I really get that. And I think there's a lot about eczema that we can look at if we are really structured about this and we've got a large large group of people involved in these studies because these, you know, flares of eczema come and go all the time. So you need a large number of, of people involved. But there's a lot of things that we've not really got a good window on understanding yet. So a lot of the irritations, a lot of the foods which can cause flares out of nowhere, We haven't got good metrics for studying this yet. And I think part of the focus at the moment is that we're realising there's many things to measure on the skin barrier itself. That environment with the actual skin can make a big difference. And that's the start of what I hope is a really fruitful journey. But we also have to look at all the other factors, uh, the, the irritant factors and other food factors, which aren't an immediate food allergy. But doubtlessly, they do have some sort of impact.
1: So I'm going to go off the reservation here and just ask a completely unrelated question to bathing. But I think anecdotally, we hear from parents that they notice the eczema all of a sudden fine. And then it just gets really bad. And that certainly happened with my own child. It was manageable in the mild range. And then for reasons we don't understand, it just got totally out of control. And I think some of us have hypothesized that it's staph infection or not necessarily infection maybe, but the staff comes in and makes the eczema like throwing fuel on a fire and causes it to get out of control. But it, it also seems to make the eczema less responsive to usual treatment. And we hear about, gosh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it, this sort of um, almost like a force field that the staff puts around itself. To protect, Mm -hmm. I forget what the name of that is the biological biofilm. Biofilm that the staff actually produces this biofilm that protects itself from being eradicated. And so I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit, given your background looking at the microbiome and skin and allergy. What's going on with interplay with staff, maybe, that causes that?
2: It's You're completely spot on with your addressing the fact that it may well be a tipping point because it feels like a runaway process, right? Mm. And through looking after so many babies, particularly with their first presentation of eczema, another really common pattern is cradle cap, which is really bad, and particularly cradle cap, which is itchy and sore. And you can get the scales that almost seems to descend. It's almost anatomical that it comes down and seems to descend over the torso, over the chest, and then lurks in the limbs as well. And that really does feel like something is spreading. And I think it's very difficult to disentangle what the bug may be or whether or not it's a chain of inflammation, whereby the spread of the actual eczema, the dermatitis inflamed area is spreading as well Mm. through these different anatomic regions. When studying the microbiome, they've done very nice studies to show the influence of Staphylococcus aureus. And there's no doubt that it rises very clearly at the time that there is a flare. When you've got open, cracked, weeping skin, it's the best medium for Staphylococcus To grow and we know that there are lots of from clinical practice lots of different treatments which are either antibiotic creams or sort of bactericidal type washes bleach baths which are commonly used in uh, hospital settings that can make quite a difference when already you've had a clear runaway process your question is much more delicate than that which is about what is this turning point whereby we can start to see a tipping point coming. And that is so important. And it's so difficult to study. Yeah. Other studies have shown is that they can show big differences at the extremes. But when you're looking at a runaway process, and particularly on the skin, the challenge with the microbiome is what is living on the skin that makes a difference to the eczema and what is just a contaminant. The next challenge is that, We all live in families and the contamination may come from eczema that actually the dad has in my case, because that probably does have an impact on the local family's skin microbiome as a group, as a household. And we know that's important with skin bugs. When you've got lots of different bugs that are constantly multiplying and there's other competing bugs that may vary, depending on whether or not you're measuring competing bugs in proportion on the face or under the armpit or down the back near the nappy area, it all changes hugely. So you're constantly measuring a relative change Mm. and therefore the subtle tipping point gets ever so difficult to really capture.
1: It's not a static environment, it's dynamic. And so every time you look, it's a little different, right? Yeah, 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 that makes sense.
2: But but also if you're comparing between people, it gets very difficult to, to work out the noise from the important comparisons to make and as you, there are just so many different types of, of, of skin bugs and skin yeasts and fungi and all sorts, which are all living out there on the environment and like to live on the skin as well in some part. It gets very difficult to draw the lines around this. So we know that we've got a really strict, concrete comparison between different people to measure these tipping points.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that answer. And I, I think the question actually does relate to bathing because, yeah. one of one of the reasons why parents bathe their children often is to address the staff and what seems like this constant colonization with staff that seems to make the eczema worse and mm-hmm. these kids often have infections skin infections or abscesses and so you're wanting to keep the skin clean and so on the one hand bathing may dry out the skin or compromise it in some way by over cleansing it. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you have this competing interest to wash off allergens and possibly bacteria that could be mm-hmm. making the eczema worse or leading to skin infections and things like that. So I'm just trying to bridge two ideas here because one of the main questions we wanted to ask you explain to us how often and how to bathe the child with eczema because this is so confusing to us. I think parents with eczema will go to their pediatrician say, who will say, don't bathe your child. You'll dry out the skin and make it worse. And then the next person, you may be a specialist will say, bathe your child as much as humanly possible, and then put on moisturizer right after. And you don't know where to go with it. And really the research has been quite mixed on this. Mm -hmm. So we're confused. We don't know what to do. So I wanted to ask you that question, help us tease this out. And then what did your recent study show And what are the implications for kids with eczema?
2: So an excellent question. I completely agree. There is an important thing about hygiene when you know you have eczema. It's a different balance before that eczema has developed. So I think I'll divide this into two different answers. One is the answer when we know that there's a problem with eczema and that inevitably skin infection is, is an important risk that we need to reduce all the time when we're caring for what is already cracked open and sometimes weeping skin. I've got no doubt that it's important to have hygiene as part of how we look after eczema. And we know that because infections are a risk, it's important to keep things nice and clean. In terms of trying to draw a line under, therefore, how many times we should bathe, we haven't really got enough research to work out at the moment what the optimum number of times per week would best be for different circumstances. So I think it does depend on the amount of likely infection there is and whether or not that needs other treatments in its own right. But it does seem intuitive that some sort of regular bathing uh, pattern would make sense. And one of the studies that you kindly highlighted was this study just from this last year, which was looking at a range of children where 20 were randomized into a group where they were only bathing twice per week and 20 were randomized to having twice a day bathing. So that'll be 14 times a week. And it was a really nice study because you're taking children with known flares of their eczema, and on each individual child, you're doing both different interventions, and you randomize the order in which you do them, okay? So we call it a matched comparison where you've got one important person that you're doing both bathing strategies on. In the group one, they were doing the very frequent twice daily first. And then after two weeks, they switched to twice a week. And the other group did the other way around, where they started off with dry bathing. So they were just doing it twice a week and then went twice a day. And the studies, and that study showed that there was a dramatic improvement, particularly in those groups of children who were bathing twice a day. So the message there seems to be if you have established eczema, if you've got an ongoing current flare of that eczema, bathing twice a day appears to help your skin improve quicker. And the the authors point to various reasons why that might be. Part of it is potentially washing off staphylococci, so you're reducing the risk of further complicating infection of the skin part of what they discuss is that by constantly rehydrating the skin, you're giving a better medium for the creams to be absorbed. So maybe you're protecting the skin by allowing it to receive the treatment better. But at the end of the day, this is a small study. And exactly, as you have just said, whether or not it's different different levels of eczema, whether it's different children with different ages, whether the eczema is in different body parts, whether they live in different countries. Is it in the summer and it's really humid? and infe- Or maybe they're in the tropics. So infection is much more likely. Maybe it's not the same if you're in Iceland. There are so many things that are different. And a study with only 42 children in it is not enough. One of the things as an analogist makes me just want more more information is the, the majority of these children were sensitized. So the majority of them had either food allergies or had some environmental allergy. And it's really begging the question, exactly as you said, is it better to cleanse the skin more often? And it probably is different if you've got a dust allergy from if you've got an egg allergy, probably, but we don't know. And actually, this is the kind of study where if we had 50 times more children in it, it would be fabulous to see how that would work in practice, and whether or not it's as robust as they suggest, with twice daily bathing being a good option for established eczema.
1: Yeah, that's such an interesting point about the sensitization and the different types of allergies, because we hear, I hope I get this right, that Through the skin, allergies begin. And so it's this idea that if you're exposed to allergens through compromised skin, people with eczema or children with eczema, you're more likely to develop an allergy to that thing, whether Mm -hmm. it be dust mites or peanuts or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: in that instance, you would want to maybe bathe, Mm -hmm. I'm hypothesizing, to get those things off your skin. um, Yeah. But then- And
2: you're completely right. But the skin barrier is ever so delicate when it's first been born. And one of the other byproducts which is important at that age is you're washing off the natural moisturizing factor, the skin itself. What we found in the study that I did was if you take the 1,300 babies that joined our study, yeah, before they were randomized to eating lots of food or not eating lots of food already there was a relationship where those children who were bathed more than once per week were more likely to have the early origins of eczema already there, okay? And we're only talking about this observation of an association. What we were able to do was we were able to show that the more frequently children were bathed at three months of age, the more leaky their skin got So if you're able to bathe just once per week, they had a baseline. If they were bathed twice per week, they were more likely to have a higher amount of water released. If they were bathed four times a week, seven times a week, even more than daily, they were much more likely to have higher water loss and drier skin, okay? When we grouped all those children together, so we compared the baseline of only having once weekly bathing and we compared it to all the other children who were bathing more than weekly, we started to find a balance that said, hang on, all of those children are much more likely to have eczema when we put them all in one group. But it wasn't such a strong finding that we could say, There's a bit more eczema if you do twice weekly bathing, but a lot more eczema if you do daily bathing, and even more if you do twice daily bathing. It wasn't such a strong association that we could show increasing steps at every single stage of the bathing frequency. We could say, look, we can point to increasing dryness as you bathe more often with your little baby, and we can show that when you are bathing more, that you're more likely to have eczema, but we couldn't show such a delicate association with every individual step. So I think there's different reasons for that. And I think that the children who potentially bathe bathed more, and it's very common in the UK to have a bathing routine, particularly with your firstborn, and you spend ages in the bath with them and you read to them even at the age of four months. And I think that probably has taken the hygiene behaviours to a level where potentially it's had an impact.
1: Based on your research and kind of what you just laid out, it seems like there's important windows here for these children that may require different approaches. So mm-hmm. like zero to zero to six, maybe I'm throwing it out here because I, I think we don't know that maybe it makes sense to bathe your child very little and let that. So skin... from
2: from not yeah. to six years or not to six months, what do you saying?
1: Zero to six months in infancy. Yeah. Like maybe there's Completely. a window where it's better just to leave the skin alone, right? Like less bathing and less products on it and so on, and less baby wipes and all this stuff so that um, skin microbiome can take shape and mature. But once your child has eczema, maybe it's different, maybe more bathing than is required, but to really understand what those windows are and what the best approach is, Given the age of the child and the risk profile, whether they do or don't already have eczema, it seems
2: Yeah, I agree. It's quite an involved decision. And it also has to follow developmentally. If you're then going to make these recommendations for bathing and eczema, if you want to look after the whole of the progress of to develop to prevent against all allergic disease, but then talking about Introducing peanut butter at a time that's timely. You definitely want to be able to wash the peanut butter off, particularly if they've got to the stage where they're demanding at six months of age, they're pushing away the spoon and they want to grab it themselves and stick it in their eye. My goodness, it goes everywhere. So there are lots of practical developmental stages as well, whereas they get more involved in running around and putting their hands everywhere. Of course, it's the right thing to clean up. I think you're right. Trying to attune it so that we get what is a workable and manageable and realistic intervention so that then it can be compared is really important. And time periods really matter. One of the things that was really great about the EAT study was that we had to be really careful about timing with regards to the developmental stage and the diet. And so that meant that we ended up with a very clean cohort of babies to be able to measure lots of different things. And ultimately, just to complete that story, we were able to show that where the babies were able to eat enough egg, they were protected from egg allergy. And if the babies were able to include enough peanut butter in their diet, they were protected from peanut allergy, similar to the LEAP study. So we have to think about the manageability of all of these different steps together in an ideal world.
1: Yeah. Groundbreaking study. And I'll reiterate it again, even though I know we've dedicated two podcast episodes on this topic already, but it's so important to get the word out to parents on this because in the eczema community, we restrict diets to try and prevent eczema flares. And we have parents restricting their diets and kids on very restrictive diets early in life it it can set set the child up for food allergies so introducing those foods at the right time and carefully is so important thank you for bringing that up i wanted to pause we have a bunch of questions coming in here from parents okay. through our community claire law asks shower filters are they worth it and any thoughts on whether those may help with bathing and then bath additives dead sea salt bleach What do we know about that and any thoughts on whether that might help eczema or have you have you looked at that
2: so we haven't looked at the bleach bathing in particular ourselves overall the it is the case that putting bleach in the bath does tend to dry out the skin again so it's another thing where it's going to have a number of knock-on effects and what might be right for one child isn't necessarily right for another child so I think things like beach baths are always going to be something of a medical intervention to be done when a professional is confident with this and they're recommending it for a particular scenario and a particular set of circumstances. At the other end of the extreme, what you can buy down your local pharmacy must, the same as in the UK, be general bath emollient oil. And there was a BATHE study, B-A-T-H-E study that came out in the BMJ, you might be aware of, um, which is just, I think, three years old, that had 300 children using the oil, 300 not using the oil, and finding that it made absolutely no difference. It was all washed off anyway. I am not familiar with shower filters. Tell me the joys of shower filters.
1: I think the question here is related to probably hard water and whether or not it makes sense to soften water, I'm guessing. Claire's not on the line with this. She's posing it by uh, chat in our group. But did you want to, because I think that's a really good question. Are you familiar with the hard water studies?
2: Yeah, exactly. We did show that hard areas, so the EAT study was quite useful, as I said, about the tight time parameters. We also had children from all over England and Wales and we were able to show that areas with higher calcium carbonate were more likely to have eczema. So that was borne out. And one of the things there is that because we've got the whole of the UK to look at, we can start to see these differences. You need to have enough children. You also need to have a great geographic area to make that, to make those comparisons properly. So we had a, a study which Professor Carsten Floor, one of the group, was able to put together a randomised control trial and the results had just been published. There did seem to be a very marginal but non-significant prevention with eczema for the babies first growing up so that they had, I can't remember how many, it's something like um, 40 in each group who had a water softener installed and those who had the water softener installed, they were marginally, but insignificantly, more protected against developing eczema. But you would need a study that would have thousands and thousands of babies in it to be able to show and prove that it made a difference. And so from an economic Uh, point of view and the sheer disruption of putting all of these pumps in these houses it wouldn't really be viable to go further and do it but there is something in it it's likely to be subtle and it may well work in relation to how the emollients are broken down and byproducts of creams and so on as well and so there are areas of reasoning to follow further but for just sticking by water softening alone isn't probably going to be enough to to make a significant difference
1: it's not a home run. I do recall seeing a study, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when they actually did a sub-analysis and looked at children with the, a certain gene mutation, a filaggrin gene mutation, yeah, I believe they found a greater effect with addressing hard water in that group, which was interesting.
2: That is uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, I hadn't
2: yeah. come across that. No, I'd, I'd be interested to see that, yeah.
1: Mm. Another question here from Deborah Horkavy in Illinois. She says, I always get mixed information on bathing. I bathe my son because he loves to be in the bath and he forgets about his itch when he's in there. Sometimes a two hour bath. Yeah. I think some of us observe that when you have a a child that's super itchy, it's really hard to find things that distract them Mm -hmm. enough to Mm -hmm. keep them from itching. And bathing seems to be one because it quells. So any comments on that just as a itch management I think
2: when you start to look into well, what would be the perfect thing that ideally everyone must do in order to get the best out of bathing, it gets really difficult. You realise suddenly that the water temperature makes a difference. How long they spend in the bath makes a difference. How you dry them afterwards makes a difference. Do you put emollient straight on? Do you do emollient and steroid? Do you do steroid before the emollient? You start to realise you're always talking of a package of measures, all of which might actually have an influence I think it is really difficult because people have clearly been trained in different ways through different centers, and a lot of this is on preconceived ideas of what is normal. Hmm. So I completely concur with the question. I think it's really frustrating to be told different things that are slightly different. And at the end of the day, you've got to look after your child and distraction itself is a really key part of looking after eczema when there's distress going on and it's so difficult. I I completely agree. That's in itself. It's got its own measures and uh, its own benefit.
1: Okay. Thank you for that answer. We've talked a little bit about this ritual of bathing and moisturization, which is the mainstay of eczema management, especially in kids. There's interesting research on the topic of moisturization. Actually, there are two big studies that recently came out looking at intensive moisturization in infancy as a way to prevent eczema. And I'm trying to remember if these kids were high risk or not, but I know it was a large number of children that Um, we're looked at and we're applying moisturizer to shore up the skin barrier and hopefully prevent eczema. And neither of those studies panned out. It does not seem to prevent eczema. And in the case of one study, they found that a higher rate of skin infections, I believe, among the children who were getting the moisturization. I think here again is an area um, where we need more research, but, and then you have also the issue when you're, you work in the area of allergy But there's some speculation that a parent unwittingly may be smearing allergens on their child through these moisturization rituals, because Mm -hmm. unless they have pristine, clean, uncontaminated hands, they're constantly touching their child's skin with things that you find throughout the household, maybe even allergens. I know this is a long-winded question, but any sort of thoughts or Any thinking on moisturization and on how to do that in the best way? And is this just, again, another timing question where less is more in infancy, but later on, if a child develops eczema, perhaps then it makes more sense.
2: So you're completely spot on with your question. You're right that there was an increase in skin infections from doing copious amounts of emollients. I think the sensible And then you're right also about the inadvertent exposure to food. So that was also a neat study analysis. So again, observational, but showing that the more frequently that you put on moisturiser independently, that related to an increased risk, if you're doing it more frequently, of developing food allergy later. So you're spot on, correct? The main thrust, therefore, has to be try to do things in a reasonably clean way as possible, and the benefits of doing moisturizing after a bath are that, yeah, sure, you've already got the skin nicely hydrated. And so, therefore, doing emollients at that stage might seal it in to some degree. It's also the case that you can bet your bottom dollar their skin's going to be really clean, your hands are going to be really clean, and it's a great time to safely apply whatever you like. So, we tend to recommend creams, there's some medical creams whereby they've only got very clean, basic ingredients in them that they don't have lots of, obviously, the perfumes and the alcohols and everything else, which generally makes eczema sore. It needs to suit the skin type. So I think it has to be a balance of cleanliness, doing what's necessary to make it feel you know appropriate as far as the child is happy and you're happy is is the best thing, and to try to avoid food-based oils and try to avoid, if you want to do the massage, that's absolutely fine, but doing that, again, with some sort of ideally pump-based cream, if you're going to use a thinner cream, because you're less likely to dip skin biome bacteria into it, into a pot, and then spread that around. It's, it's likely to be cleaner if you're doing it for some sort of dispensing pump.
1: Yeah, great point. If you are regularly applying moisturizer to your child's skin, go for the pump. But the tub yeah. can easily get contaminated. Keep the hands clean, use a pump. Those are great tips. Question coming in here from our, another parent, Angela Tiru in Connecticut. She asks healthy skin has a slightly acidic pH. Would it be beneficial to have a bath with a slightly acidic pH? And I know this was not within scope of your study, but throwing it out there to see if you have thoughts.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? We don't know. We do not know. So a marginal change in pH is going to be quite difficult to show a clinical effect that we can measure with an enough, you know, with a manageable number of patients.
1: Yeah, a really good point. Thank you so much for this interview. It's been super interesting and also really appreciated for the research that you're doing. This question of how to bathe a child with eczema has been there for ages and it's mm. remarkable we don't have the answer. Yeah, I appreciate the stead of the work that you're doing and look forward to seeing this new research work that you have planned. Listen, areas- I
2: think what you're doing is great. It's a great to have an opportunity to contribute. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for being part of this episode of the Eczema Breakthroughs podcast.
0: You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research, or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at org. And if you enjoy our podcast, consider supporting you with a tax deductible donation through our website. We depend on listeners like you to keep producing high quality science-based episodes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.